Today is a really special day for me because for the first time ever, I'm interviewing my dad, Paul Estabrooks, and what a man he is. A broadcaster, an author, an international speaker. He worked with a persecuted church for 30 years eight years and has amazing stories that he's going to tell in the show. Today we're going to talk about his life story and from his perspective, my adoption. He's also going to talk to millennials and Gen Xers about legacy and destiny. And so you're not going to want to miss his advice and what he shares today. It was such a privilege and pleasure to interview my dad right here on Your Story with Melinda. You're not going to want to miss it. Dad, this is really special because this is the first time that I've ever interviewed you or that we've ever sat like this in a podcast or any anywhere to have a conversation about your life. It is, isn't it? It's amazing after all these years. <laughs> after all these years, both of us in, in media and in television and in radio, yeah. this is the first time. So it's really special. And it's neat for me because I can actually hear your story for the first time. And so, and, and maybe a little bit about me oh, <laughs> within the story. Just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's, it's interesting as a daughter where you kind of know about your parent um, bits and pieces, but sometimes you actually don't know the full story and how you got here because, you know, you had your story before me. Um, I came along into the family. And then when you're younger, you don't know the full story of what's happening as you're growing and maturing. And so I kind of remember parts more like when I was, you know, um, later teens or older, some little bits when I was like younger, but not a lot. So I think this is going to be the show, Dad, where you're going to kind of fill in the gaps of the storyline. Oh, so, well, let's start from a bit of the beginning, your background, um, because I think for a lot of our listeners and viewers, you know, getting to where you are now as a missionary, a writer, a speaker, a communicator, you know, a radio broadcaster, all these things. You left out one word. What? Retired. Oh, retired. Yes. I don't think of you as retired, though, Dad, because oh, you're still... Refired. Okay, yes, refired. Refi- refired. Or refined uh, okay, or something. Yes. But, um, <laughs> you know, I list off all these sort of the things that you are doing, have done. And for young people, yeah. they're like, whoa. So how did you get there? So let's start from the beginning. Um, born, raised, and some of your background on your even beginning of your faith okay. journey. My folks were from New Brunswick, and mm-hmm. my dad was a pastor not from a necessarily Christian family. He had become a Christian and Hmm. uh, went to uh, Gordon-Conwell Seminary in um, Boston and came back to New Brunswick to be a pastor, met my mom, um, who had become a Christian through listening to street preaching at the railway station in her town. Wow. And it was an amazing story for them. But they, they then start a Christian family, kind of the first within their communities. And they have four boys. One, every two years, one of four <laughs> boys. I was number one, yeah. and I have three younger brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, no sisters. So mm, we, always, uh, we always <laughs> uh, were, were longing to have a sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who had one said, it's okay. <laughs> But we lived in New Brunswick when I was seven years old. My dad was called to a church in Kingston, Ontario, Bethel Church, part of the Associated Gospel Churches of Canada, which he was with for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. So he pastored in Kingston, Toronto, Burlington, London, and then 
uh, out out west in in um, in Manitoba mm-hmm. in Dauphin uh, until he retired. So I grew up in a pastor's home in an era of no-nos. Uh, mm. Christianity was more about what you didn't do than what you did do, and we'll maybe talk about yeah. that a little bit more later, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, we didn't do this and we didn't do that, but the one thing we could do was sports. Oh, and my good. brothers <laughs> and I grew up, you know, playing hockey, playing baseball, playing football, mm. uh, basketball, everything that was going was, uh, our life was sports. And of course, being from a pastor's family, we were at church every time the doors were open, whether we wanted to be or not. <laughs> yeah. see? And so we knew everything about the Bible, as I mean, that a kid could know, mm-hmm. and and about the church and and uh, uh, about Christian living. But each of us, as is always the case, mm-hmm. has to make our own commitment. I was. 19 years old before I finally said to Jesus, I now understand and I'm willing to give myself to you. It's no longer Paul that is going to control what his life is all about. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to tell, give it to you, Lord. What happened at 19 to, to get you there? It was just one of those special moments. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the the irony is, my it was my dad preaching. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> I used to sleep, try and mentally sleep through his sermons when I was young. But uh, he was preaching on the prodigal son of, of all things. Mm. I was not a prodigal son in the classic sense. I yeah. mean, I sat in church like a good boy, and I did everything mom and dad said I should do. Mm. Um, but you know, inside your heart, inside your head, you know what is really important to you and why you are living. I was living for me, mm-hmm. and everything I did was really just for Paul. Mm-hmm. And then I, I realized the love of the father for that prodigal son, mm-hmm. and uh, it just, the Holy Spirit just grabbed me and just kind of dragged wow. me to the front of the church that night. It was a Sunday night, mm. but it was a change. I mean, wow, what a dramatic change. And that's when I, uh, the next Sunday, I'm, I'm, I, I was in grade 13, and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know. If Which, I'm like many people school. don't know, right, yeah, <laughs> what I, to do. I, I, am I going to go to school somewhere? What mm-hmm. am I going to do? I go to the back of the church, and here is a bulletin of a school called London College of Bible and Missions Mm -hmm. in London, Ontario. I was living in Burlington at that Mm -hmm. time. So I'm going, um, I've never even thought about this. Uh, Lord, is this this a direction maybe I should go? And I got this sense of direction to say, just apply. If, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's like a door. Knock on the door. Mm -hmm. If the door opens... That's the next step. Yeah. You know, and Dad, I just want to say, I like that because a lot of times people get a sense, but they don't know if that's to do something. I find that with a lot yeah. of young people, even Gen Xers like me, we always struggled with what we should do, where we should go. God, how are you going to speak to me? And I, and I believe that, you know, sometimes we're, we want it written or really loud and audible, but sometimes it's the spirit gives you a sense. And mm-hmm. I think we need to kind of pick up on those things. You know what I mean? Because sometimes yeah, we discount true. it as yeah. nothing. And I think that's really important. So you've got the sense. Well, I, to- I, always, I always like the theology, a practical theology. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's, there, there is a sense that it's biblical, but I couldn't give you a verse and mm-hmm. chapter and verse. But um, you, you, 
you know, if God wants you to do, you know, you knock on doors. If God wants you to go through the door, you pray, Lord, if this isn't the right door, shut the door, Mm -hmm. and I'll know that that's what you don't want me to do. Again, it's kind of a negative aspect. But that was the uh, um, opportunity that really changed my life because I went to London and spent four years at Bible college. Mm -hmm. Now in a stage of life, I knew about the Bible, but now I want to develop a relationship with Jesus. And those were really formative years. Now that school is Tyndale College and Seminary, which we are both alumni of. (laughs) Yes. And uh, it was, they they were very formative years, wonderful. And of course, the most important thing. (laughs) I knew this was coming. (laughs) I met your mother. Yep. Your mother. You mean Bridal College, they like to say, Bridal College. We always (laughs) joked that LCBM stood for London College of Better Marriages. (laughs) Well, it's not too far off because uh, uh, my friends are all around 50 years married, and Mm -hmm. uh, your mother and I have been 52 years married, and that's where we met. So from there, you know, Mom and you met, you get married. And you end up in London, right, doing – I mean, Mom became a teacher, yes. and you were in in broadcast. Yes. Well, when I started Bible College, there was a note on the bulletin board that they wanted uh, some production workers at the television station to work nights and weekends when the guys who worked, you know, mm-hmm. 40 hours a week went home. Mm-hmm. And they were willing to train. They wanted four guys. And I was living in London at the time, and I whipped out to the station, and the guy who was hiring, uh, a wonderful man named Dale Duffield, he said to me, uh, where do you live? I said, here in London. Oh, what, is, what, what does your dad do? He's a minister. Oh, he says, my dad's a minister. Hmm. We have something in common. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was so easy like yeah, that now. Oh, yeah, your dad has the same job as my dad? Great, you're hired. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> no, but we're both PKs. Yeah, that's Preacher's true. Preacher's kids. We're both preachers Oh, the good kids, old so days. We have, we have an understanding of each other. And uh, so I, I started there, and they trained me in production. Okay. I did camera. I did audio. Wow. I did lighting. I did uh, master control. Um I loved it. Mm-hmm. And so I worked part-time for four years through school and then in the summers, so much so that when I graduated from uh, with a Bachelor of Theology degree, I, I went to Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan, studying broadcasting. Okay. Uh, I did a master's degree in communications and basically was working in the TV studio mm-hmm. all the time. So I came back to London after that and worked mm-hmm. full-time at the TV station, again, the same one I'd worked at all those years during school. So that was the whole uh, kind of introduction of, for me. For broadcast to, and television. To broadcast. Your mother had gone to teacher's college, and she found out that she loved teaching kids. Mm. And so she was a teacher. Now, at that time, you know, for any North American sort of family, it's like you've got sort of the perfect scenario, right? You've got your Mm -hmm. education, you've got two, you know, you've got great jobs, mom has a great job teaching. I mean, there's some security there and understanding of kind of this North American life that we all want to have, you know, to have success, safety, comfort, um, you know what I mean? Like that Mm -hmm. idea. So when you start thinking about, you know, you, you, you have two kids, you have Tim and Tanya, and you start this idea of mission, how does that come about? Because I think for a lot of people, it's a little scary thought to give up what you have and the comforts Mm -hmm. of what you know and to go 
somewhere completely different than that comfort, right? Yeah, that's exactly. And it, that was our big challenge. Mm-hmm. It took us three years to work through that that decision because it is a huge decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, it started with a sense of destiny. When I was a young boy, my mom would give me all these missionary books to read, like Pearl Buck, who a lady who wrote who lived in China as a missionary kid, and later wrote all these novels about China. And every one of them had a real sense of destiny. There's a destiny mm. for every person, and you need to find it and follow it. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a, per se a Christian books, but that whole sense of destiny was there. And then, of course, our, the school I went to was yeah. called London College of Bible and Missions. Right. Okay, well, mission was a huge, in the 60s, when I was in school, it was a strong emphasis and uh, on Jesus' command to go into the world and to mm. make disciples everywhere. And that was that's Jesus' commission. It's yeah. still it's as simple as black and white, mm-hmm. right? Are you willing to do that? And, um, and in those days, they would tell the guys, especially the guys in, in pastoral courses, you must have a call to be a pastor and stay here in Canada. I mean, everybody should go, but if you're gonna stay here and become a pastor, you need to know that that's what God has really called you to do. Now, many of them did. I have lots of friends who are pastors, and that's a wonderful position. In fact, I think pastoring in North America is probably the toughest (laughs) job there is in the whole world. Why would you say that? Just because of the challenges. I mean, you. There's, there's so much expected of you. There are so many uh, uh, talented, talents that every pastor is expected to have. Mm. There, is, there is now becoming, with the executive pastor now becoming a position, uh, but better known, mm-hmm. it's helping to reduce that, that stress. Yeah. But boy, I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. not an easy job to be a pastor and to do 52 weeks. It's one thing. All of us could preach one good sermon. Yeah, I get it. I can do my once a month speaking. But to do 52 or (laughs) even 48 or whatever you're going to do, that's that's a challenge. So, Dad, it would have made sense for you to stay and pastor, you know, in London or in Canada. But what made you decide to go halfway across the world to a, a country where many didn't even know about the Philippines. Well, I didn't even know about Okay, well, starting with you, you didn't even know about a country called the Philippines back well, I then. Knew, I knew it was there. I knew nothing yeah. about it. So what, how did that happen? Because that, that's a big start of my story, but also yeah. the continuation of your story as well. Well, Urbana, Urbana the, the um, Commission's Conference of InterVarsity, was mm-hmm. held every three years mm-hmm. at Christmas. In 1967, when I was at graduate school, your mother and I went to Urbana in, in Illinois, and at that Urbana, Dr. Robert Bowman from Far East Broadcasting Company was one of the main key speakers, okay. and his son Jim Bowman, who was the head of a radio station. And uh, we went to their sessions because I was interested in broadcasting, yeah. obviously. <laughs> and because uh, up until that time, all I really knew about was HCJB and Quito, Ecuador. I, I, mm-hmm. I, in fact, I was almost convinced that's where I was going to go, but. Uh, they, they challenged us to come to Asia and to work with them in Asia. Mm-hmm. And they said, we have broadcasters in the languages of the people. We don't need more, you know, on-air broadcasters. What we need are people to do training and to do research, especially yeah. research. They said, so we're setting up a research center to study things. You know, one of the first things they found in the research center 
was that people of other religions in Asia respond very positively to the word, to the name and word Jesus Christ. Mm. If you say Jesus, but if you say the word Christian, there's incredible negativity. Well, there still is that a little bit now, Dad. Of course, course. (laughs) really. I mean, people, people I've seen really respond to Jesus. I talk about Jesus in relationship, and I never talk about sort of Christian and church sometimes or religion because it has such a bad connotation. Yeah. Um, but I do, even today, when I say of Jesus, they get it. Yep, exactly. They, so, okay, I mean, it's, so, not, it's not rocket science, right, but it was something that, that broadcasters mm-hmm. still didn't really have clearly in their head. Yeah. So this was the purpose that we were going out, and we were to work in Hong Kong. It was to be Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. As we were raising the financial support we needed, which was another issue mm-hmm. because yeah. I was very much opposed to doing that. And once once I got over that and said, okay, Lord, I trust you, in six months we the had money, it all. The money came money in. Came Does that always happen? You freak out. Yeah. And, if, and I, I find out in anything that I've started, I get freaked out. I get scared. And then God's like, I want you to do this. I will provide the money. And yeah. then all of a sudden money comes in for support. And you're like, what? And God's like, yeah. I always had your back on that. That's a good. That's a good lesson of yeah. trust and faith. <laughs> so while we're raising this money and yeah. we're almost ready to go, they say, "Oh, by the way, we're moving the research center from Hong Kong because of the expense of living in that city at mm-hmm. that time, and still mm-hmm. to the Philippines, where we have a big Ooh, base. We have goodness. a major base, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a compound there, and where you can live. You know, whatever." So we oh, end up okay. going to the Philippines. We set up, uh, I, I work for the research center. I spend a year studying Tagalog, the Philippine language. And, um, and then, then they had a major, major uh, challenge that they needed someone to be the manager, mm. program manager of the local radio station that was 50% English, 50% Tagalog. And uh, DZAS, a, a major station that could be heard all over the Philippines because it was a clear channel mm-hmm. and it was just blasting over the islands and with Christian programming. And that's how I got into, into programming there. Um, and now, that was about the time your okay. story begins. So before we do that, how difficult was it for you and mom to go over the Philippines? Like that, it, There's got to be some tension or some feeling of apprehension, you know, and I say that because a lot of people that I come in, in, you know, in connection with struggle with the initial step of obedience or to step into the fear of the unknown. Well, it, it's a double-edged sword. We were quite excited about this opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a sense of destiny, yeah, yeah. okay? This, okay, there's destiny yeah. here. There's something new God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, leaving family in a time when there were no telephone calls, we couldn't afford a phone call. Right. There's no no Skype, no email, <laughs> Nothing, no right. way to contact home yeah. except mail mm-hmm. and, and a phone call that costs an arm and a leg. Yeah. So uh, that was a challenge, uh, leaving a family, especially for Di, my wife, beca- your mother, because yeah. her, mo- her mother had just passed away six months mm-hmm. before we left uh, at a very young age with kidney failure. Uh, her father was then all alone, living alone mm-hmm. as a widower. Uh, and, and, you know, it was, uh, he had just become a believer, even in his older years. And wow. it was, um, it was hard to, for her especially mm-hmm. to, to leave family and, and go there. But when you know that, you know, this is where you have to know what God wants you to do. Yeah. 
And you, if, if mm. you don't know, you just need to take the time to make sure you know. Yeah. And, and that's where faith comes in. Then faith comes. You say, okay, Lord, we're, we don't know what lies ahead, but we're just going to make that step. It's good. It's good for people to know that. So in that time, we'll jump back into the story. You're, you're, you're doing radio. You're doing the show. And what was sort of the catalyst or the start of thinking about adoption? You have two other children, you know, Tim mm-hmm. and Tanya. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in a new country. There's a lot of adjustment. You're working, you know, in this new position. And at that point, a lot of people would say that's yeah. a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of things that we have to manage. Can we do something else like this? So what, was, what happened there? Well, first of all, I learned the language. And that you, you learn a culture by learning its language. Mm. And if you don't learn the language, frankly, you, I, I, I believe you really mm. don't understand the culture fully. We love the Philippines and the Filipino people. Uh, and then your mother had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And when, when we are talking together after, we said to each other, we had already been exposed to many orphanages in the Philippines, and they were mostly full of little girls because when Filipinos adopt, they adopt boys. Mm-hmm. The girls are left in the orphanages. So we're saying to each other, why are we even trying to have more children when there are so many children here that need a home. And if we believe that God wants us to have at least one more child, mm-hmm. uh, what are we going to do? So we decided to adopt and went through that process mm-hmm. uh, there of adopting. And it, it's a long story, but uh, we brought home this, this <laughs> little Filipina daughter uh, in 19, well, I won't say the year. <laughs> A few years ago, few you years brought home ago. a beautiful little baby girl, <laughs> full of potential, and yes. and and I think you know, Dad. When I think about that, all of the the, the steps to get to you adopting me, it makes me very emotional because you think you you and Mom deciding to be missionaries, um, you know, going to Urbana, like all the steps. Urbana, listening to you know the Bowmans, then deciding to go, and then. You know, FABC decided to move Hong Kong to the Philippines because even if you'd gone to Hong Kong, That's I would have right. never been in the picture. Like, right. there's so many things, and I believe that when you start thinking of it in the big picture, you realize that God was orchestrating some things that we would we didn't even know about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm so thankful. You know, I, and I and there are moments as you get older about those choices and decisions that were made to make to then have me come here. I, so, have, I have to just tell one quick story okay, about yeah. you. When we, uh, when you were like a year old, your tiny, tiny little gal. Our kids were always chunky, mm. chunky, good-sized <laughs> kids, and they were blonde. As, as children, they were yeah. blonde. We would go to the market, and the the tinderas, the ladies that sell things, would pinch Tim and Tanya because they thought they were so cute with this blonde hair and yeah. white skin, and and they didn't like it because they'd always get pinched Pinch all the time. Her, yeah. So I'm carrying you in my arms, and they'd look at you in my arm, and they'd say to me in Tagalog, why is she different? Bakit iba? And I'd say, oh, she's not different. I have dark hair. She has dark hair. I have dark eyes. She has dark eyes. I try, I'm teasing them. Yeah. And, they, and then they'd come back with the ultimate question, but why is her nose different? Which Always is the, the, nose. Asian, the Asian thing, right? <laughs> and so I would say, well, that's because she was born in the Philippines. And they go, oh. oh. <laughs> so they really didn't see the difference except for the nose. Well, then I'd say, and because we adopted her. 
And then yeah. they would say, oh, can you adopt me? Can you adopt me? <laughs> These are grown women, you know. It's I so know. funny. But they loved it. So I was left in um, that Abiertus House of Friendship. And again, you know, we'll have to have you back to talk through that story. Because in and of itself, that's a story. But it is, it, this yeah. is about you, Dad, not about me. <laughs> okay. okay. Even though the title of the show is Your Story is Melinda, it is about yes. your story. Okay. So I'm adopted. And from there, uh, you know, talk about. So we lived on the compound. And then you transitioned into a different job, which has really then kind of defined you know a bit of your role and in yeah. you know within the church broader church in the world so yeah. talk about that transition because i want to hear because that's a fascinating uh, world that you're a part of well it started with uh, five years my last five years at febc radio uh, I, I transitioned to being in charge of the international broadcasts mm-hmm. that were going by shortwave uh, through six different transmitters all going simultaneously to all over Asia. And we had families living on our compound mm-hmm. where you grew up uh, from all these different countries that looked after the broadcasts in their languages. I was basically a facilitator. Uh, I did have to do some technical work on, on frequencies for shortwave or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, that was interesting. And I began to travel through Asia. And I began meeting Christians who were persecuted for their faith mm-hmm. in places like China. I was in China as early as 1976, um, right after Mao Zedong died, and um, met Auntie Esther, a lady, that um, medical doctor who'd been severely persecuted, needed Bibles. And I was in Burma where they needed Bibles, and in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. and. I, I'm going like, whoa, this, this is really a challenge. Well, the, it, it all kind of comes together when you know that Brother Andrew of Open Doors, who was known as God's smuggler, came to the Philippines uh, because he was concerned about the need for Bibles in mm-hmm. Asia. And we had a huge printing operation as part of our compound, mm-hmm. as well as broadcast. We had a big printing press. And we were printing Bibles in those languages. Even, even in Russian, we were printing uh, very tiny, tiny pages. The whole New Testament could be done in, on just paper, soft paper, very, very wow. good paper, and then put into an envelope and mailed, sent in the mail. But they'd have That's to use, so you'd have so to good. use a magnifying mm-hmm. glass to read it, mm-hmm. but that kind of project was going on there. And so Andrew comes to the compound, and so we become friends with Brother Andrew, and uh, the next thing I know is Open Doors uh, Asia, where he set up a base in Manila with friends who were mm-hmm. also former FEBC missionaries. They asked me to join them and to become part of Open Doors, a ministry to persecuted Christians around the world. And you, before you retired, you were, Working for them for how many years? Thirty-eight years. Yeah. And in that time, you know, there's so many stories, Dad. But in that time, what are some of the highlights of Bibles? Because I think in a time now, especially for young people, I don't think a lot of them realize um, the importance, or even know that there are people that were persecuted, you know, for Bibles that didn't have Bibles. Because especially in North America. It's so accessible. You yeah. have a Bible app. You have like seven Bibles in your house. There's Bibles at the church. I mean, it's not something that we feel that we don't have. And so yeah. in all of that time, what are some of the highlights? And well, we're going to just extend this conversation a bit because I think that your story and that is, is pretty incredible. The, um, the big thing was um, China and Bibles. And the big project was Project Pearl when, when we uh, 
we took a million of books like just like that. That's from part of the overprint. Okay. One million Bibles they uh, Christians asked us for, um, and wow. they weighed two hundred and thirty-two tons. I mean, that one is half a pound. Yeah. That's one Bible, small Bible, half a pound. But mm-hmm. if you have one million of them, two hundred and thirty-two pounds mm-hmm. or tons, mm-hmm. two hundred thirty-two tons. Mm-hmm. So we had a tugboat and a barge, and God provided incredible, the right people to supervise the project. I was the coordinator of the project. I became the first mate on the tugboat that pulled the barge that had the million Bibles. So a million Bibles on a tugboat to to bring on a barge, pulled by a tugboat. Into China, where obviously you're not allowed to have Bibles. Yeah. That's incredible. At that time, 1981. And we, uh, we met about a thousand plus believers who were on a beach, on a quiet beach in southern China. And we offloaded those Bibles in two hours onto the beach. And it took them five years, however, to distribute them all, the all across the country. Yeah. That is But incredible. it was called Project Pearl. And I've written a whole book. I mean, the whole story is incredible. Yeah, and the, your book, book is the, A Night of a Mil- Million Miracles. Night of a Million Miracles. Yeah. You've probably met some incredible people too in in that that have been persecuted for their faith. What's what's one quick story about a person that really impacted you um, as as you were you know well, with Bibles and yeah, there there are so many. But I think Pastor Ha in Vietnam. This was a man who, under the communists, uh, was told that he was not to do anything uh, spiritual, and he started with six families. And in three years, his six families grew to 3,000 people. Uh, they wanted to shut down this church, but they couldn't find anything against him. Finally, they just moved in and put him in jail. And uh, he spent three and a half years in prison just for being a pastor in a communist country wow. where it was not wanted or allowed. Hmm. And we prayed for him all this time. And um, when he came out, uh, finally, they kicked him out. You know why? Because he led so many people to Jesus inside the jail. <laughs> yeah. They kick him out. <laughs> and they, they actually deport him. They, he had to go live in America. Mm. Can you believe how sad that is? <laughs> this man okay. wanted to stay in Vietnam. And they're and like, go to, to go, go to, to America. America. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the point was this. In his three and a half years in prison, he led 98 people to faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. And Amazing. he said, he said, that's why God had me there. It was a place of ministry. Mm. Not, not only prisoners, but even some of the guards and, and just some miraculous stories of how even when he was in isolation cell, mm-hmm. he's asking God, how can you use me when I'm here all by myself? I can't even talk to anybody. He hears a clinking, you know, and, and, and he realizes there's another guy down below him in the cell below him. Mm-hmm. And so there's one hole in the floor and you know what that hole is for. Mm -hmm. And he cleans it as best he can, and he starts singing Christian songs down the hole and and quoting scripture verses. And months later, when he's out of isolation, he's out walking in in the yard, he's singing some of these songs. He's humming some of these songs that he'd sung down the hole, and another prisoner comes up to him and says, oh, were you in cell such and such above me? And he said, I was the prisoner who was listening to you singing about Jesus. 
and I need you to tell me more about Jesus. So while they're walking around the yard, he leads that guy to faith in the Lord. Amazing. And I mean, even when you're in an isolation cell, there, can, it, God can give you a way yeah. to, to minister. I mean, it's, his Incredible. life was just amazing. Wow. And the, he's just one of many, many like that. Yeah. Dad, when you look back over your life um, and you think about destiny, I mean, does your life surprise you? I mean, is it something where you look back and go, I can't believe this is the life I've, I've yeah. had and led? Actually, it's, it is true. When I think about what I thought of as a kid, when I was thinking of destiny, mm-hmm. um, I, I would never have dreamed that it would have been as it was. Uh, and I have no regrets at all. In fact, it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Uh, and it's... Uh, the thing I've learned, however, I think there's only one major thing that I would like to share mm-hmm. about what I've learned is that faith isn't about what you don't do. It's about what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a kid, I grew up in the era of evangelicalism that said, you know, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't do, <laughs> don't do you know, yeah. these things. And that was kind of how faith was measured. <laughs> Life has nothing to do really with when you follow Jesus, you, you may not do those things, yeah. but that isn't the basis of your faith. That's not how you measure your faith. Uh, and I think the scripture verse that is so important for everybody, whether young, middle-aged, or old like mm-hmm. me, and that's Hebrews 12, 2. You know, uh, uh, you, know you persevere by keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if, if all through your life, you're asking Jesus, how is, what is it you want me to do, and how do I live? And, and, and become a, what Tony Campolo always called a red-letter Christian, mm-hmm. remember? What are the words of Jesus, mm-hmm. and how do I live them? That's the way to find life eternal, is to f- know the words of Jesus and to live them. That's beautiful. And Dad, I think, you know, watching your life in mums, and all the grief that the kids gave you. <laughs> I can't believe I'm, I'm here today. I'm actually like alive and actually doing this. But um, thank you so much for your obedience uh, because that's impacted me. I think when I think about my life and the decisions you and mom made, you know, when I speak, it's amazing because it's like every little decision you made impacted my life and, and what I'm doing today. I think it's funny to talk about broadcast and even though there's not, it's sort of that nature-nurture, yeah. I'm yeah. in broadcast. Yeah. And I think faith, I mean, we you'll have to come back to talk about, you know, the other stories of where, you know, me making poor decisions. But I think being kind of the prodigal daughter and the father's love, which you experienced back when you were 19, mm-hmm. those changed my life too. So I think it's, 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 a, it's an amazing thing, especially father, daughter, parent, child. You do your best and you're hoping that your life or decisions mm-hmm. will impact, you know, your kids and, yeah. you know, and the family as well. You do, and that you have yeah. to trust the Lord you for. You do. It. I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, I have one brother who today is still not, would say he's not following Jesus, yeah. which was a pain for my mom and dad all their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you have to have faith. I mean, yeah. you, you have to say, you have to realize that we all decide how we're going to live before the Lord. It has, it has eternal consequences, yes. but we have to make our own decision yeah. about how we are going to live life and who we're going to follow. Yeah. Uh, we just know that 
after many, after, it doesn't take many years to realize that following Jesus is the way to yeah. go. It is. Um, Really and, is. and it's it's a life of of giving, not not getting. He he came not to be served, but to serve, and that's how you live his life in mm-hmm. in this world. And there's an awful lot of need that needs to be served. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dad, thank you so much. I thank you. You know, thank you for all that you've given to people all over the world. I mean, Bibles, um, yeah. your family. Uh, decisions you've made, and I think it, what a beautiful like legacy for you. Like I think destiny and legacy. What you know? What beautiful things to be reminded of how important that is. Mm-hmm. You know, to have faith in God, to realize you know to to hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and to yeah. to you know be obedient to that. And then I think to be open because I mean who. You didn't. You didn't know <laughs> how your life was going to be. I think you That's thought right. I would just be doing broadcasting and maybe in London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. But when you're open to God's leading, wow! Look yeah. what He can do. Yeah. You know, and the impact for generation generations to come. So, thank you. Now I know there's going to be listeners and viewers who are saying, "How do we get your book on Night of a Million Miracles? How do we know more about your work?" Because you may be retired, Dad, but you are still <laughs> doing. You're still writing. I can't. When I yeah, say that, yeah. I, I kind of laugh because I'm like, "You're not retired. You're actually seems busier than when you were working well, full time." That's the problem when you retire. <laughs> you can become busier yeah. than you were when you were. Sub- officially working. Yeah. So I know that uh, uh, we can get yeah. to with in Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram, which I know that we'll have up on our site. But then mm-hmm. as far as the books, how do we get uh, your Open books? Open Doors Canada. They okay. have a website, uh, and it's Open Doors CA. Okay. Uh, www.opendoorsca, all one word. Okay. CA being short for Canada. Canada, yeah. And they have a fabulous website. Okay. And uh, they have the supplies. They keep the storage uh, for me, okay. of, of all of my books, one is Escape from North Korea, oh, A Night of a Million Miracles, Standing Strong Through the Storm, which is now in forty-four languages, wow, amazing, and is um, and is now going to be printed in second edition any day now. It'll be coming out the second edition of Standing Strong Through the Storm. And then my daily devotional book, which is a, a monster book. It's an exercise book. <laughs> you lift it up every day and your arms will never atrophy. Uh, it's, it's basically called uh, Daily Inspiration from the Lion's Den. Oh, and it's a daily story from the persecuted church uh, with a biblical message. Amazing. Well, Dad, thanks so much for being here on the show. I know you're going to have to come back because we'll maybe do another show about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> about that. Um, but it was great to hear your so I mean, we could have been talking for like three hours, but we I could have. And there's so much more, but we'll make sure that you come back and we'll continue the conversation. So it was a great. pleasure to have you here, Dad. Thank you. So what did you think of our story this week? Let me know in the comments below or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find all our past episodes online at faithstrongtoday.com slash your story.